listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor David Sinclair. Good morning, everybody. Well, uh, as Dave said, today is the beginning of the church calendar and the church new year. So today is the first day of Advent. And uh, Advent means coming. And it's the time of year when we, as a church, remember the longing Israel felt for the coming Messiah. As they looked forward to his coming, they hoped that it would be soon. And so as we go through Advent, we want to think about that time of longing and hope. And of course, it should remind us that we too are in a time of longing and hope, that we look forward to the second Advent of the Messiah um, and uh, the return of Christ. And so that is the Advent that we continue to look forward to. Uh, this morning, we sang just a little bit of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which is my favorite Advent hymn. And um, it's beautiful, of course, but it also exemplifies what I think are the two main aspects of Advent. The first is hope and longing, um, looking forward to the Messiah coming, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Um, they long for it. They need it. Israel without uh, the Messiah will be nothing. And yet at the same time, along with hope and longing, there is great confidence that God will keep his promises. And so the refrain is, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, Israel. And so you have both hope and you have confidence. And of course, that should be uh, the attitude that we have during Advent as well. Hope and longing for the return of Christ and confidence keep his promises. Uh, and the last prayer of the Bible is an Advent prayer. In Revelation 22, the last prayer is, come Lord Jesus. And so let that be our prayer for the next four weeks. And with that in mind, I am also reading today's scripture, which is Luke 21, 25 through 36. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves, and you know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. I think I'll use this one. Do we want me to use this mic or the hand or the... Just the regular handheld. Is this good? Josh, do you, uh, do you want me to take the other one again? Okay. All right. We're all corded up today. 
Uh, I got a question for you. Kids, how many of you like waiting to get your Christmas presents? Like you see them under the tree, you know it's 20 some days, or you're counting down the days, however many days your parents, maybe they're early present wrappers and they get them under there. And you, How many of you like that process of waiting? Okay, some of you. Eden, that's awesome. You actually, yes, Harper, you like to wait. Okay, great. I don't like waiting for things. Um, I get, especially this time of year, I get reminded about that because like I'll buy a present for somebody and I'll intentionally wait till the week of so I don't have to wait too long to give it to them. Otherwise, I will probably slip up. I will just say, you know what, I can't wait anymore. I'm just going to give it to them. Um, and I don't think I'm alone. I think Americans are people that don't like waiting, right? We don't like waiting very much. Uh, that's why we don't like heavy traffic. Uh, that's why we invented fast food. That's why we're constantly looking for faster wireless networks, internet speeds. We don't want to wait for our stuff to download. We want it now, right? But did you know that to be a Christian is to be a professional at waiting? To be a Christian is to be an expert in waiting. It's true. Like we are committing to, when we say yes to Jesus in a life of discipleship following him, we're committing to a life of perpetual waiting, to living in this already not yet tension where Jesus has come, he's risen again from the dead, he's ushered in the start of his kingdom, but it's not fully here yet. We're waiting for it. We're declaring that we're going to live in this time being watchful, sober, even through sometimes agonizing waiting. And here in our text today, Jesus is encouraging us to wait well for him. That's what we're going to look at in our gospel lesson this week. Jesus is giving his disciples some words of preparation for his second coming. He tells them of the signs of the last day before his second advent, his second coming. And a lot of times we get caught up on the signs, uh, which is really not the point of this text. It's not about, hey, what are going to be the signs? We know we're in the last days, so the point of the text is more about being prepared, not necessarily knowing which signs to be watching and, and whatnot, but he says it's like a fig tree. Um, he says, look, you know when the figs, fig tree's leaves are coming on, you know that summer's almost here. You, like, if you're paying attention, you'll be able to know. If he was in our culture, I think he would say, you know the lilac bushes? When they're blooming, you can smell them. You know that's late spring, early summer. You know what time of year it is. Like, basically, if you're paying attention, you'll be able to know when, this, when the time is drawing near for his arrival. And the time is now. His coming is soon. So then Jesus goes on to talk about what it looks like for them to wait well for his return. And as we look at this idea of waiting well, I want us to notice five things in this text that are more towards the end of the text, but we're going to be kind of hopping around throughout. And the first is the command to wait well. Look at verse 34. Jesus says, but watch yourselves. Some translations say, be on guard or attend to yourselves. And then in verse 36, he says, stay awake at all times. What he's really saying there is that if you get too absorbed into everyday life, you'll, you'll stop thinking about it. You'll stop waiting. You'll stop watching. You won't wait faith, faithfully for him. And maybe you say, well, that's never going to happen to me, Pastor Dave. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you woke up and you said, I wonder if Jesus will return today? You ever, you ever think about that? I mean, I don't think it's saying too much to say that it's easy for us to go days, weeks, months, even sometimes years without that really crossing our minds too much. That Jesus is coming back and it could be today. It could be even today. 
We don't mean anything bad by having that out of our minds. We just don't think about it. We get busy with life, right? I mean, there are deadlines at work. There are kids' soccer practices to get to. The, the groceries don't buy themselves, and the laundry's always piling up. Life is busy. It's distracting. I think it's e- interesting that Jesus' command here is to be watchful and to stay awake, to stay awake to the realities of his second coming. And, and the fact that he uses this idea of staying awake tells me that one of the enemy's main tactics in our lives is simply going to be lulling us to sleep, right? To getting us distracted or lulling us to sleep. C.S. Lewis talks about this uh, from the perspective of the, the senior demon, Uncle Screwtape, in his book, The Screwtape Letters. And Screwtape says this to Wormwood, his junior tempter. He says, it's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. See, I think that's what's happening a lot of times. Like the things of Jesus' kingdom start to come clear to us. We start thinking on them. And the moment that happens, the enemy is like, oh, wait, wait, you need to check your phone. Oh, wait, what about this? What about that game that happened last night? Check the score. Look at this. Look at that thing. Or perhaps he's just suing like what? You and I do as parents, maybe, you know, when you have your little kid and they're so tired and you finally get them to bed and you're about to taste sleep yourself for once and, and then you, something startles them, a big noise in the house or something, and they start to wake up and you go, you go over and you go, what? Go back to sleep. I think the enemy's doing that to us all the time. Hey, 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 go back to sleep. Nothing to think about here. Nothing to worry about here. Don't be paying attention to that. It's one of the reasons why I love Advent, because Advent comes on the heels of this long section of ordinary time, right? And it's the start of this new Christian year, but really it's saying to us, wake up. Wake up to the realities of the soon coming king. He's coming. Are you ready? Are your hearts ready? Are your lives ready? Are you prepared for him? It's this massive wake-up call, and we need that rhythm in our yearly calendar. We need that in our monthly calendar. We need that in our weekly and even daily rhythms. But it takes guts to continually watch over your life, to look at it thoroughly. It takes diligence to stay awake to the realities of our soon coming king. And as difficult as this is for us, Jesus calls us to this kind of sober-mindedness to watch, stay awake, to not fall prey to the common threats that we face as we seek to wait well, which brings us to point number two. There are threats to you being a person that will wait well for Jesus. There are things that are going to come against you. And Jesus lists three here. First of all, he lists dissipation, which I'll be honest, I didn't know what dissipation was. Nobody ever talks about that anymore, apparently. But the Greek word there is kreapole, which was commonly used to refer to the nausea or confusion resulting from drunkenness. So the picture is a person stumbling around sort of in foolishness being drunk, right? Or, or, or picture all the foolish things that a drunk person would do, kind of the carelessness, kind of the, you know, the, the throwing off of restraint that a person will do in their state of drunkenness. It's all the behaviors that are associated with drunkenness. That's dissipation. But the dictionary also defines dissipation as a process in which energy is used or lost without accomplishing useful work. I think that's helpful too. And in this way, we can think of dissipation as the opposite of stewardship, Right? If stewardship is leveraging every, all the resources that God has given you for his kingdom and his glory and the good of other people around you, then dissipation is squandering it. Dissipation squanders time and money and relationships and even our very lives. And I'll tell you, the, the parable that's been really heavy on my heart this past week is not the parable in this passage, but it's the parable of the talents, 
the parable of the talents, which is a parable that Jesus told about what it meant to wait well for his return. There are a couple of parables like that. The ten virgins is also a parable of waiting well for Jesus' return. But this parable of the talents is all about stewardship, right? And that's why it relates to dissipation. It's the opposite of dissipation. And the, the parable goes, I'm just going to kind of sum it up for you, that Jesus uh, is the master, and the master t- has these three servants, and he gives them all a sum of money. A talent isn't like something you do on America's Got Talent. It's not a cool, you know, ability. It's actually a large sum of money. Some commentators say up to 20 years wages for a day laborer. So it's a lot of money. And so the, the master says, all right, here's five talents for you. Here's two talents for you. Here's one talent for you. And the first two servants go out and they double the money by investing it for the master. Pretty incredible return. But the last one says he got afraid, so he buried it, put it in a coffee can, and just sat around. And Jesus comes back and he commends the first two. He says, well done, good and faithful servants. You've been faithful with little. I'm going to trust you with more. But to the last one, he says, you wicked and lazy servant. You could have got interest on it. But he did nothing. And I think that's dissipation to a T. He did absolutely nothing with what the master had given him. He didn't even get interest on it. There was no useful work. That's dissipation. It's a squandering of all the resources that God has given us as we wait for Jesus. And as we wait well for Jesus, Christians need to be thoughtful about this. What are the things that God has given you? And how are you investing them for Jesus? How are you leveraging them for the kingdom? My guess is that most of us in here don't have a problem with stumbling around drunk, that kind of dissipation. Right? If you do, come talk to me. We'll work at it. But most of us probably have a harder time with investing wisely as stewards the, the, all the good things that God has given us. Right? comes back to our sermon a couple of weeks ago. Uh, where we talked about generosity, right? The reality is that most of us in this room, by the world's standards, are filthy rich. We have way more than we need, right? Did anybody have that realization on Thanksgiving? Like, we're trying so hard not to get overweight, right? We have so much more than we need. That's just not the reality around the world. It's just not. And could it be, has this ever occurred to you, that could it be that God has given us excess Because he actually has called you to steward it, to leverage it, to invest it for Jesus in a million different things around the world. Brothers and sisters, there's so many incredible kingdom things that God wants us involved in. We just don't have time to waste our lives in dissipation. Amen? We got to be working. We got to be faithfully waiting for Jesus. He's coming soon. We want him to find us being diligent. That's the first threat. The second threat is drunkenness, which is usually associated with alcohol, but I think it applies to other intoxicating uh, drugs as well, and even perhaps the high that we get from things like power and ambition and money and sex. Drunkenness is forbidden by Jesus because it dulls our inhibitions and our judgment. It reduces our mental and physical powers, so we can't be watchful, right? It, it, It lowers our faculties, so you can't be watchful when you're drunk. But on top of that, drunkenness can also be an attempt to escape the sad realities we find around us as we wait well for Jesus. You know, alcohol, if you look it up on the list of substances, is listed as a depressant, which I think a lot of people find that surprising because when you drink alcohol, a lot of times you feel happier, right? But how does it do that? Well, it does that by depressing your senses. It limits the amount of reality that you can take in. 
And if you've been living for any amount of time, you know reality can be a brutal thing. Reality isn't always a really positive thing. I mean, look, ar- look around at the world. Re- the reality is our world is filled with suffering and grief and hardship and sickness and pain. And so oftentimes we would like to escape that. But while, while we wait for Jesus, what I think Jesus is saying here is we're not called to a life of drunkenness and escape. We're called to faithfully enter into that pain as representatives of Christ. We're called like him to faithfully enter into that suffering and be with those people. We can't turn our heads in drunkenness. And just to be really honest with you, these last couple weeks have been brutal for me as I've wrestled with what this looks like. I mean, I've been watching this um, very serious condition that is sort of building around the world, and that is that over 40 million people are on the brink of famine as a result of the pandemic, governmental situations, um, wars, all those kinds of things. There are 40-plus million people that will face starvation likely this year. And as a wealthy American, I'm just like, I have extra money in my bank account. What does that mean for me? What does that mean that Jesus has given me more? My brothers and sisters over there might not have anything to eat today. And I'll tell you what, I don't like the videos. I don't like seeing that there's children that don't have anything to eat. But drunkenness is like, I want to escape it. I want to just protect it. I don't want to see it. So let me just insulate my life in such a way that I won't notice it. And that it's starting to take more and more work, by the way. Like the world is getting more desperate, more broken. I think what what it means to not live in drunkenness is to say, at the very least, is to say, I am not going to close my heart off to God's heart for these people. I'm not going to close my heart off to the pain and the suffering and the brokenness around the world. I'm going to enter into it faithfully with Jesus, which is going to stink. It's going to involve the tension of Advent. I, I love Advent in some ways because it's just so real and it's so honest. It says there are two realities that Christians have going on all the time. We have the joy that our Savior has come. He has died and risen again from the dead. He's given us incredibly bright futures. All of our futures locked up with him. And yet, the world is still incredibly broken. There's still starving children. Children are still being trafficked into all kinds of horrific lifestyles. There's all kinds of pain and suffering and spiritual hunger everywhere around the world. That's still the reality. And so for a Christian in this waiting time, really we're called to have joy and sorrow in our hearts at all times. Co- coexisting at all times. A lot, a lot of us, we, you know, I was thinking about this this week. We so badly want pure joy, right? Just nothing but joy. And we do a lot of work to try to get that in our lives. And even um, that might be kind of the American dream. But Jesus is saying, I've got that for you. It's coming. It's not here yet. So to try to fast forward, to try to get out of Advent is, I think, something that Christ would call us against. To say, no, no, no. The, the pure joy is coming. When I come, I'm going to put everything right. Then your hearts will be filled with nothing but joy. But now I'm calling you to enter into the sadness faithfully with me. Enter into the pain and the suffering like Jesus did. I wonder what that means for you. You know, to live sober-minded right now. Not seeking to escape the realities of the broken world, but seeking to enter into it faithfully with Jesus. Like for me, I know God's pushing on my heart something about starving children. My kids and I have been talking about it. We're like God's working on us. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what kind of lifestyle that's going to lead us to. And my purpose today is nothing about shame or legalism. If the enemy's trying to bring that onto you, just resist it. 
This is about joy as we wait for our king, our savior, right? This is about having meaningful work to do as we wait for him. But what is it that God's called you to? What is it that he's calling you to, to look at, to say, I'm not going to turn my eyes from that. I'm going to look at that. I'm not going to seek to get out of that pain and sadness, but to enter into it faithfully with Jesus. That's the second threat is drunkenness. The third threat to waiting well is one we don't typically think about going with drunkenness and dissipation. It's one that we would think of as much more benign, much more harmless. And of course, I'm talking about worry or the cares of life, as Jesus puts it. And why is worry so spiritually dangerous to us, by the way? Why does Jesus talk so much about worrying and not worrying? Well, it's because it's the opposite of faith, right? Worry is the opposite of faith. It essentially says, look, I need to protect myself. I need to look out for myself at all costs. It, it produces this inward type of momentum and focus in our lives. And really, um, it's not unwarranted in a lot of ways, right? It is a big, bad, dangerous world out there. And lots of bad things do happen to Christians. But where worry gets off track is it says, if I worry about my life enough, I can prevent all the bad things from happening. And you can't. You can't. You're not powerful enough to do it. But the second thing, the second place that worry really gets us off track is it says, really, God can't be trusted with my life. God can't be trusted with my life. I have to take care of myself. I know what's best for me. And therefore, I need to arrange the circumstances of my life so that my life will finally turn out the way that I want it to. And that's just, that's just wrong, right? That's why, that's why you can see that worry is so closely related to the sin of pride. Because it says, I know what's best for me. And you don't. We don't know what's best for us. God does. So we need humility to enter in again and say, look, God knows what's best for my life. I don't know what's best for my life. My life is in his hands. And if we can, if we can make that movement, we'll start to wait well again. If we're going to be consumed with worry and fear and anxiety, we'll never wait well for our king. We won't risk the way we need to risk for Jesus. We won't be, live in abandon the way we need to live for Jesus. So worry is the third thing, the third threat. And that brings us then to the tool that we all need to wait well. And this is what we see in verse 36. And of course, this is prayer. Jesus says, stay awake at all times, praying for strength. At all times, praying. And as a kid, I used to kind of cringe at these places in the Bible that spoke of these kinds of things. You know, praying at all times. Ephesians 6, praying without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5. And I'm like, who can do that? You know, maybe Jeannie can do that. She, she prays a lot, but not, not me. I can't do that. You know, I can't pray all the time. But I've come to realize over the years, like, this is what it means to live the Christian life. It's never disconnecting from your source of life. John 15. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what it means to live the Christian life, is this constant fellowship, this constant communication, this constant connection towards our life source. This isn't a once a week kind of thing on Sunday morning where you connect to Jesus for a little bit and then bye, I'll see you next week. No, it's a daily, minute by minute, hour by hour kind of thing where you're fellowshipping with him, walking with him. That's what we do in the life of prayer. There's no other way to do it. Everything we need comes from God, right? To be a Christian is to be totally humble because nothing we have or get or need can we do on our own, right? Our salvation comes from him. Our ability to um, live well and holy comes from him. Our ability to stand at the last day will come from him. He's the one that's going to teach us to invest our lives well for Jesus. He's the one that's going to lay his burdens on our hearts so that we have his heart. 
It all comes back to this idea of just staying connected to him and praying. Well, I don't want you to hear my voice up here today, but I really want you to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Like, maybe he's not leading you to the same things he's putting on my heart. That's fine. I just want you to be obedient to what he's put on your heart. A life of continual prayer, continual connection with him is the only way we're going to stand well. It's the only way we're going to wait well and stand on the last day, which points us to the fourth point. There's a reward for waiting well. You know, it might be tempting to look at this passage. It's all about the end times and think, okay, so the people that wait well, they're saved, and the people that don't wait well, they're not saved. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. This passage is not to put fear in our hearts, but this passage is to help us to be prepared to be ready for the Lord's return. Like, that's what Jesus is doing here. And the truth is, we couldn't ever wait well enough to earn our own salvation, right? We couldn't do that well enough. That's why Jesus had to come and die and rise again from the dead. He took our guilt and our shame on him. And now, as we wait, we wait out of love for him. You know, the picture in the New Testament is as a bride waiting for her groom, right? Um, and I, how many of you ladies, before you got married, you were just like, oh, great, my wedding day is coming up. I mean, if you did, don't tell your husband. Don't, like, nudge him and be like, that was me. You know, uh, don't do that. But most, most late, I've done quite a few weddings in my time. Most, most people, not just brides but grooms, they can't wait for their wedding. They're beside themselves about their wedding. They're lovesick. It's a lovesick kind of waiting. It's not an arduous, hard, awful kind of waiting. And so I think like this, this kind of waiting that we're doing, it's nothing about earning our salvation. Not at all. This is about being lovesick for the one who has laid himself out for us. That's where the motivation comes from, friends. That's the way that we want to be living. I think that it's going to be obvious to Jesus by how we wait, who really belongs to him and who doesn't, but it doesn't have anything to do with our salvation. If you're one of those people that says, you know, all I'm really concerned about, Pastor Dave, is just kind of getting my fire insurance. I just, I just want to do enough so that I'm saved, but beyond that, I'm really not that interested. I think that's, I think that's problematic, I think that, that says and suggests, like, hey, you really haven't seen what's been done for you. You really haven't grasped the gospel that, that Christ has given himself for you. Jesus says, like, finding the kingdom is like finding treasure, right? And if Jesus is your treasure waiting for him well, it, it won't be the awful, arduous, hard thing. There's going to be hard things about it. There's going to be a lot of pain and suffering in it. But there's going to be a joy in it, too, like Christina was saying with Advent. There's a joy, there's hope, there's anticipation in our waiting. So the reward of waiting well isn't salvation. It's not based on your works. It's based on Jesus' works. But the reward of waiting well is that you won't be surprised. And this is looking at the first part of our passage here. Like, there's so much surprise, there's so much fear, so much distress. You won't have that. You'll be expecting him. You'll be even eager when it happens. You'll be ready when he comes. You'll have something to show him like, hey, you gave me two talents. I made two more, Jesus. Excited for the master's return. That's what we want. You won't have regret on that last day. I don't know about you, but one of the fears I have as a Christian, and I, don't, I haven't decided if this is a Christian fear or not, but I, re I fear regret on the last day. I'm a person that gets really excited about lots of things. Some of them are important things. Some of them are silly things. Um, I love to catch walleyes, and sometimes that can take up a lot of my mental energy. 
Uh, I love the Golden State Warriors. I just love it. I don't know why. It doesn't matter. None of them know who I am. But I love a lot of unimportant things. And I'm afraid that I'm going to get distracted by certain things. And, I'm gonna, and then Jesus is going to show up. And I'm like, oh, no, this is too soon. I wasn't expecting you. And there's going to be some sort of regret like, yeah, I know I'm saved. But I just didn't live how I wanted to live for Jesus. I fear that sometimes. And I think it's totally possible that that will happen to a lot of us. You know, the Bible says that some of us will enter eternity as though escaping through flames. Now, there's a joyful picture. You know, like all of our works burnt up. Can you imagine that? Like everything you did passes before and just goes up in smoke because nothing that you did mattered at all. Oh, man, what a downer. I mean, joyful to be saved, but it's like everything I did went up in flames. It, nothing that I did had any lasting significance at all for King Jesus. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you either. I want us waiting well. Look at the picture in verse 28. Jesus says, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. That's a picture of people who are confident, right? Like, Lord, I doubled your investment. Jesus is saying, I want you to have confidence and joy on that last day. I don't want you afraid. I don't want you fainting with fear, the text says. Crippled with fear. There's going to be a lot of people terrified on that day. He's like, I don't want that to be you. Straighten up. Stand tall. Look up. Your redemption is drawing near. And that last word, redemption, leads us to our final point. Where do we get the power to wait like this? This is kind of an otherworldly existence, isn't it? This is no picnic. This is, involves an act of dying to yourself, giving your life away for Jesus and his kingdom. And we just can't do that in the power of our own flesh. It's hard to live this way. And the key to having the power to wait well lies in verse 28 as well in, as well in this word, redemption. This redemption that Jesus says is drawing near for us. So because redemption involves bringing liberty to a captive, usually through a ransom payment. And Jesus says he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life as a ransom payment for your life so that he could bring your redemption near. That's what Jesus did for you. And the way that he brought our redemption near is that he waited well for us. See, friends, Jesus Christ came to earth, and if you'll remember, it was not in this blitzing, warp speed, superhero kind of mission. It was in a slow, waiting-filled life where he joined us in our suffering for over 30 years. God joined in our suffering as a human for over 30 years. Just waited. And then when his great moment finally came, the moment that he would take our sin upon his back, he wanted nothing more than to get out of it. He wanted nothing more than to turn his head from that pain and that agony that he faced to say, you know what, let them deal with their own problems. But what did he do? He waited. He stayed in there for us. He hung upon that tree and he died. He died. He was buried. His body laid in a tomb again to wait. Friday night, Saturday, all day, holy Saturday. And then Sunday morning, the third day, he rose again from the dead to conquer Satan's sin and death for us. And then our Jesus ascended into heaven where he waits still, eagerly, for that day when he will return for his bride, 
the church and life church, this is all of our motivation. As we see him waiting well for us, we wait well for him. We lock eyes with him. We say, you waited so well for us. Help us, Lord. Help us. We're praying. Help us. Give us the strength to stand and to wait well for you. My question is, when our king returns at that last day, what will he find? Will he find us waiting well, being faithful, investing our lives for him? Will he find us distracted, shocked, surprised, not expecting him, and unprepared? I don't know where this message finds you today. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we're so thrilled that you've come today. We would invite you to come to this Jesus who waited well for you. And we would invite you to come and belong to this waiting community as we wait for our king to return. We would love to invite you into that today. There's going to be people up here to pray with you. If you are a Christian here today, I would just invite you into a time of Advent prayer with me. I told you this last week has been a struggle, like God kind of dunked me into Advent a little early. But would you start praying with me and just asking the Holy Spirit, like, how would you like me to wait well for you? What does that look like for me? What does it look like for you to steward well all the resources that God has given you while you wait for the return of your king, your master? What does it look like for you not to turn your head away from the pain, but to enter into it faithfully with Jesus? Brothers and sisters, as we wait well for Jesus, no doubt our hearts are going to be filled with joy and sorrow at the same time. That's okay. That's really normal for Christians. Don't you give up. Don't you quit. Continue to look up. Keep on praying. Your redemption is drawing near. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for these words of encouragement. You know how easily we get distracted. You know how we get worried and are filled with the concerns of life. You know how we would rather live in comfort than in some sort of struggle and and some sort of pain and suffering. But would you help us to be like you, Jesus? Would you help us to enter in now? to the things that you've called us to, would you help us to wait well? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.